welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Today, we have an exciting guest, Christopher Pellegrini. He's going to talk to us about spirits and, and specifically spirits in Japan, Shoshu to be ex exact, and his company, Honkaku Spirits, and what led him to get into that industry, moving from the US to Japan. Christopher's been there for 20 years. Christopher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Alex. Absolutely. So, so tell us about your life here in the U.S. before you went there. How did you get into spirits? I'll give you the, the elevator version of this because it is quite a convoluted story. I started homebrewing as a teenager, which, yes, is highly questionable. I, get, I understand <laughs> that. And uh, that led to eventually my parents getting very angry at me and, and forcing me to stop homebrewing. But then I turned that into a, a quasi-apprenticeship at the local microbrewery in Middlebury, Vermont. It's called Otter Creek. And one thing led to another, and I was really interested in brewing, and we lost two of our, our two head brewers. One put his back out, so he couldn't lift heavy bags of grain, so he was done. The other brewer left the state to join the circus. I'm not making that up. He actually wanted to become a clown. So we didn't have a brewer and the CEO came in and he was like, does anybody in here know how to make beer? And little teenage me was like, I do. And that nice. I ended up becoming the youngest commercial brewer in the United States. I was so proud of my job um, because I was making craft beer. I was making stuff that people would come with their growlers to come in and refill on. Mm -hmm. That was really gratifying. Fast forward a bunch of years. Um, I, I'm in Spain and then I'm in South Korea. Boy meets girl. Girl wants to move to Japan. I'm like, sure, I'll follow. I'll go wherever you want to go. And that's when I ran headlong into Shouchu and Awamori, Japan's indigenous spirits. And these are Japan's best kept secrets. Um, just to give you a little hint of how they're hiding in plain sight, but how big are they? There is more Shouchu and Awamori produced in Japan every year than tequila in Mexico. And, and as I mentioned to you, Christopher, I mean, I, I've drank a lot of spirits all over the world, Europe, South America here. Uh, I've never been to Asia, but I had never heard of shochu before you and I connected. And I thought, have I been living under a rock? So I got to have Christopher <laughs> here to talk to us and educate us, which is actually the superpower that I think you possess. You talked about this exposing new audiences to this spirit. So tell us more. Well, it's it outsells sake here in Japan which okay. is also blows people's minds. And yet it just has not really been exported outside of the country. It's made from a variety of ingredients that are approved by the tax office. It's made from the most popular sweet potatoes. Sweet potato shochu is the best-selling style. It's also made from barley. It's made from rice. It's also made from kokuto sugar, which is an unrefined dark sugar that is just super, super rich and and unbelievably delicious. And then a whole bunch of other ingredients. There's 53 approved ingredients. And I always say that it's the most diverse spirit in the world. Why can I confidently say that? And this just requires a little bit of knowledge about distillation. Mm -hmm. There's two main types of still, right? To greatly simple, oversimplify. There's the traditional still, which is called a pot still. Sometimes it used to be called an alembic. Basically, you put a fermented solution in there. Could be beer, mm -hmm. could be wine, whatever. And it distills it once. And then you have either whiskey or brandy, if it's beer or wine, right? Mm -hmm. And the ABV is not very high, but the flavor and aroma are pretty big and pretty pronounced. The newer type of still is used to make vodka. 
And that's a, called a column still or a patent still or a continuous mm -hmm. still. And that just creates crazy levels of alcohol, 96% ethanol. At the expense of the flavors and aroma, it strips all of that out. So you just get pure ethanol, which if you are making a vodka is desirable. And then you can dilute it down to your bottle proof. Um, shochu and awamori have a weird rule, kind of unique in world spirits. You're only allowed to use a pot still and you're only allowed one pass. So most whiskey uses at least two passes through a pot still <laughs> and other style, other world spirits use even more than that. But shochu and almori, it's just one. So you get pretty low ABVs, but you get crazy aroma, right? So a sweet potato shochu smells and tastes like sweet potatoes. A, a carrot shochu smells and tastes like carrots. A milk shochu, you guessed it. It's, it's a super diverse category of spirits that is impossible to just to just simplify like, like you would with vodka. What does vodka taste like? Well, it's a neutral spirit, as everybody says. It's great in cocktails. Mm -hmm. What is shochu like? Well, it depends. It depends on what it's made from. And what percentage of ABV is, is in there? Most shochu is around 25% ABV. Okay. Awamori is usually 30. Although by law, uh, both can be bottled at up to 44.9% ABV. And I was also not familiar with Aomori. So what is the difference between the two? Because I know in most of your work, you, you're talking about shochu. Mm -hmm. Aomori is shochu's uncle. It's a little bit older than shochu. It's got more um, guardrails on it. There's more boundaries of what can, it, it can only be made from rice. And there's a couple of other production restrictions that uh, control how diverse it can be. It's not particularly diverse in and of itself, but it is super old. It's a little, it's probably over 600 years old. Shochu, as far as we can tell, is over 550 years old or so. Okay. Um, these are not trendy things. These are, you know, pretty well-established parts of Japanese culinary culture. How difficult was it for you, Christopher, moving from the U.S.? Of course, you had been around the world, but then you settle in Japan and you need to learn Japanese and then immerse yourself in the culture and then, of course, you want to be accepted into the culture. Talk to us a little bit about that. How, how challenging was that for you? That's a, uh, that's a really interesting question. It, if you ask me, it wasn't that super tough. The reason why is because I knew what to expect already. I had lived in Spain. I had lived in South Korea, which were, are very, very different cultures, societies, and, and places to exist. And so I was kind of ready for coming to a totally new place where I knew I wasn't going to be able to communicate. I knew nobody was going to really be all that interested in me. And I knew I didn't have any friends or, or, or any family here. And I was just going to have to accept it and adjust and, and get on with it. Now, that was easier for me to do because we only planned to be here for one year. That was the original plan. But one year led to two and two led to five and five led to a mortgage. And we're still here 20 years later. So it's it. I absolutely love it. But you're right. You have to if you really want to get things done, you have to learn the language. And uh, the first phrase, second phrase I learned to say was awanashide um, kurasai, which in Japanese means no, no foam on my beer, please. Because <laughs> they would just they would just put like a head that that thick at the time. So are we in Germany? What is going on? This is a rice lager. Knock it off. But they, that was that was a that was perhaps the first little bit of culture shock. Um, more extensive culture shock that I I deal with to this day, although I have adjusted. I have accepted. I don't love it. 
I'm not a huge fan of the, the, the seniority, um, the junior senior thing that governs all aspects of life here. Okay. Meaning if you joined a group an organization or whatever, after someone else, they are automatically senior to you. And there's a whole level of uh, respect the, your verb endings change in your sentences. It's like, it's, I get it. I don't love it because I mean, I've worked in a few different organizations. I've, I, and you know, I don't really understand why just by default, you always have to pay, be so respectful to people who don't deserve respect sometimes. <laughs> right. So. Even if, if for no other reason, just their age, their, they're just older than their, yeah, that means they're wiser. Therefore, you must do it their way. Yeah, I, I sort of get that. I, as I was telling you, I'm originally from Brazil and in Brazil, it's a little bit that way, too. But um, uh -huh. the, the new age and Gen Z and millennials, they, they don't feel that way so much. So you can see that it's changing. I don't know if it's sure. the same there. But um, so so you also teach at the university. Is that correct? That is correct. I, I teach at Waseda University, which is in downtown Tokyo, and I teach essentially I'm supposed to be teaching a marketing class, but I basically teach a course on koji culture. And koji is Japan's national mold, which is used to make miso and soy sauce and sake and awamori and shochu and other, other beautifully fermented beverages and, and foods. And so I use that education, which young people here tend not to know that much about. Cold. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, they just don't know what it is or how it works. They they might um, have miso soup every morning for breakfast, but they don't know how miso necessarily is made. And when you connect all of these things, you just see that without koji, K-O-J-I, koji, you don't have Japanese cuisine. I mean, it would be, we just, it would be, we wouldn't, it wouldn't exist as we know it today. It wouldn't be so award-winning as we know it today. Koji is often part and parcel with umami, which is that, that flavor, that savory note in uh, mushrooms and, and portobello mushrooms and uh, mm. so, I, sorry, uh, mushrooms and tomatoes and, and meat and you know, that richness that's hard to quantify. It's halfway between salty and then, but it lurches into something that's much meatier. And uh, that koji does a lot of that in the drinks and the food that it, it helps to ferment. And so I, I, anyways, to get back to this class, I, I do this, these uh, chapters on, on different Koji products, and then I have them create business plans for exporting Koji based products to the outside world and see what they come up with. And I read somewhere you, you, you also talk, talk about Koji whiskey. What, so is that the same ingredient used to make whiskey? That's a good, that's a great question. Um, I love that one. That's a, that's a big old fat meatball for me. So we, I guess our flagship product, and sorry, I'm, now I'm talking about Honkaku Spirits, which is, a, sure. is an import company in New York. And our best-selling product is a whiskey, but it's made with koji. So it's not made with malt. And malt, malted grains, I mean, I don't, I can explain it, but it's not very exciting. Please Google it if you're interested. <laughs> a big difference between malt and koji is that malt is where you trick grains into starting the germination process. And that means that they convert all of the starches inside to sugars. You can have, you can get the same effect if you use this mold on steamed grains and the mold will exude or excrete these enzymes that help to turn all the starches into sugars. So it's the same result, but a very different path to get there. Malting is much more 
you know, European and mm -hmm. the in the Americas, and then uh, koji and other fungi are much more an Asian type of naturally occurring in the environment, but absolutely necessary for all these different types of food. And we have a product um, called Takamine Koji Whiskey, and I, um, this is this is um, named inspired by the most consequential Japanese person to have ever lived in America. His name was Dr. Jokichi Takamine, and he was the first Japanese person to ever make whiskey, but he didn't do it in Japan. No, he did it in Peoria, Illinois. Um, and he was making a maltless whiskey using koji, just like you do in Japan to make sake and shochu and aomori, but he was using it to make bourbon back in the 1890s. And if, if it wasn't for a couple of really crazy things, number one being the maltsters, we believe, tried to kill him because he was going to put them out of business. And because they couldn't catch him, um, they just burned down his lab, which set him back by like three years. How long and ago then, was this? What? This is 1891. Okay. All right. Yep. But I'm trying, to, 18... I'm trying to date it, it was... so I can think of prohibition and all of that. Uh, yeah, this is this is predates prohibition. Yeah. And he was and he got back up and running. They were actually producing Koji whiskey in 1894. But in January, February of 1895, the, the distillery went into receivership. It was the Teddy Roosevelt's antitrust uh, Sherman Antitrust Act era. And the, the, it busted up that trust. I mean, it, it's a good thing. It was a monopoly to end all monopolies. It was the Illinois Whiskey Trust. But it, it, it put an end to the Koji whiskey experimentation. But the amazing thing is if 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 that hadn't happened, Koji whiskey would have been an American tradition. Mm. So we, we use that as inspiration for, for this product. And we made a hundred percent barley, uh, Kojified barley, uh, whiskey that is, it's not a Japanese whiskey because ja uh, lo the law here says that in order for it to be considered a whiskey in Japan, it has to use at least 10% malted grains. Mm. And this is a hundred percent, uh, barley Koji. And it's not a bourbon because it's barley and it doesn't use any corn. It's somewhere in between. It's a bridge between those two cultures, which is very much what, what Dr. Takamine tried to do. Um, he failed at making whiskey, but he was famous for a couple other things. Number one, in his home lab in Harlem, after he failed at whiskey, he isolated medical adrenaline. So if, you, if, you use it, if you've ever used an EpiPen, right. you have him to thank. And later on in life, he paid for all the cherry trees that were donated to Washington, D.C. All of that is him. He is an absolute legend. Wow. And, yeah, well, I got he, I, I got to say, there's definitely some parallels between Dr. Takamine and yourself. I mean, he came to the U.S. and he did the spirits thing here. And you're there in Japan as an American doing the spirits thing there. So maybe I, one yeah. day they'll, they'll be talking about Christopher that way. No, oh wow, geez, that that was that's crazy. I, to have my name in the same sentence as Dr. Takamine is just like a little bit more than I can honestly handle. Uh, yeah, but, if but, that but, but, if I ever get like a quarter of the way there, I will have lived a very very productive life. Yeah, but I I sincerely mean that, Christopher, in the way that you are for for those listening who are entrepreneurs. You know, we we while we're risk takers, we try new things. You know, sometimes you try to stay within your comfort zone, but man, for you to leave the USA to go 
live in another country like Japan, learn the language, learn how to do business there, learn how to use their cuisine and, and choshu. And, and I mean, all the stuff that you're talking about, it doesn't happen in, in just a, a dream. I mean, you've been working at this for decades. And so I think your, your greatest work clearly is yet to come. You're, you're on the way there, but it's, your story is very inspiring because you're doing something that the average entrepreneur is not going to do. The average entrepreneur is going to say, well, I'm going to do it here at home because I know how to do business here and I know the language, but you're there, man. So I, my, my hat, you know, hats off to you. So, I, so tell, to tell me about that though, the difference between doing business here and there, because you are importing uh, it to the U S what are the, like the major differences? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's important, actually. The differences, the assumptions that a lot of business people will, that have when they come over here, and whether it's doing something as as simple as trying to source product, or doing something more involved, such as setting up a subsidiary for their business in you know here's the Tokyo branch or something like that. There's there are so many things that need to be taken into account when interacting with every single person um, along your journey. And I mean, it's, it comes down to things as diverse as the importance of relationships in terms of mm -hmm. making introductions to people to just, I think I used this example the other day when I was trying to explain something similar to them. And, and I laugh because when I, we talk, I talk with our team in, on the East coast of the United States almost every day. And routinely there's the phrase, oh, it doesn't, it never hurts to ask. Right. That comes out all the time. And I, I always kind of just stifle a chuckle because here in Japan, many times it does hurt. Many times oh. you can hurt a relationship by asking. You need there's so much there's so much context that in, is involved in terms of interpreting the relationship between both parties that asking something at the wrong time can be quite dangering and trust um, trust damaging. In, in in ways that might not immediately be obvious until you figure out like, oh, this person doesn't really want to talk to me anymore. What did I do? Um, that takes that takes quite a while to learn to navigate. And things just don't, decisions are not taken quick. They're not made quickly. And there's a process. There's a process to everything. There are processes to reinforce processes. <laughs> Japan just, is known for that. <laughs> Japan, as somebody said to me recently, Japan moves, it, this place moves at the speed of Japan. And there is very little you can do to alter that. And so, I mean, I can just run you through some, some, you know, some of our logistical headaches in terms of getting these oh. brands onto a container. And you, you would be like, wow, why do you, why do you do it, deal with that on a daily basis? Right. And the answer is I love it, but it certainly is maybe not for everyone. Um, yeah. Well, and I think you have a, a, a grander purpose. Obviously, you're passionate about shochu and, yeah. and Aomori. And I think that for like most people like myself, I mean, I had never tried it. So now I'm interested. You've got you've got a taker here. I, I need to go Cheers. try it. So, yeah. yeah. And so you're spreading this this, um, you know, message and the awareness and the branding because we're we're humans and we all want to discover new things and especially um, for, for spirits, those of us who like, uh, spirits. And speaking of that, how difficult is it for you to work in, in that business and not, uh, drink too much every day? Oh, that that's a, Oh, I absolutely. I mean, I, I'll admit that during the pandemic, when I was spending so much time at home, 
I mean, if you look behind me, it is pretty easy for me to find <laughs> my next drink. Um, so I was just, I've just made rules in terms of the, the amount that I permit myself to drink. Um, I scheduled days off, which in Japanese, we would say Q kanbi, which, which is basically a liver dry out day. Mm-hmm. And you, you schedule those in and I just, it's mostly a volume reduction on a day-to-day basis rather than, than any type of, you know, I don't do a dry January or anything to try and get a reset. I just figure throughout the year, I just need to keep a very careful eye on the amount that I'm imbibing, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It is an occupational hazard. And it's also part of the reason why a lot of people never leave this industry because it is a lot of fun. Um, if you can, if you can control it and if you can maintain your health. And so that's, that's a, that's something that you got to keep your eye on at all times. Christopher, what's your biggest failure in, in, in business? It could be this business or another business in your, in your past life. Problem always used to be that I failed so slowly in the past. I used to get married to, to the, you know, the relationships that I developed with employees. I would just was like, I refused to let go when it was really was time to, to, you know, you should hire carefully and then fire, fire quickly if necessary. And I just was, it was impossible for me to do that because I just wanted to, I just really wanted to mentor and I wanted to help and I wanted to understand. And I just always assumed that there was something that I wasn't getting about the person. I was trying to put myself in their shoes. And, you know, sometimes it just was not meant to be. And it, and I, I took so long to figure that out that I burned our, I burned through a lot of extra energy, financial resources, and it, and it negatively affected the business on at least two occasions, just because I couldn't get, I couldn't let go. Mm. Um, I had made the decision to bring somebody on and I was determined to turn it around. And I, so that's, I've allowed that to happen a couple of times. I'm getting better at it now. Japanese employment law doesn't make it any easier. I mean, it, it is really hard to cut full-time staff here, which is why a lot of places love contract workers. Um, but that's one way, that's one thing I'm learning. One thing I'm trying to get better at. Um, another thing is I'm not the most organized person on the planet. I have notes everywhere. I use, I try to use Asana to keep everything, try the step-by-step. I got timelines and grids and everything. I got people kicking my butt to make sure that I'm paying attention to everything, but there's too many curveballs coming from behind my head. And I got, you know, I got sinkers coming at my left ear and I just, you know, oh, here's a change up right at my belly button. And I can't swat them all out of the way. And then I get distracted by one thing and then I drop the ball on another thing. And it's just, it's, you know, it's the, it's the life it's, it's, it's life. Yeah. you know, it's, it's there's no straight line. There's no, no straight line in entrepreneurship and owning a business and running the teams, the products, the, the customers, there are so many moving parts, which is why to me, entrepreneurship, is so interesting, no matter what the product or service or where in the world we're yeah. talking to a business leader, it, it is absolutely all interesting. It, it, you have the uh, podcast Show Tuesday. Show you have <laughs> yeah, like three podcasts, yep. but talk to us about Show Tuesday and and I know you 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 have a good community there. Uh, is that community mostly in Japan, or are you trying to grow that community here in the U.S. as well? That's uh, yeah. So Show Tuesday Show Tuesday is on Tuesday in the U.S. and okay. so we re, we do it. It's a live stream every Wednesday morning here. And it's because we are trying to focus on people who have gotten off of work on a Tuesday evening and are sitting down. Maybe it's after dinner. It's usually 8 p.m. 
in, in the in the, or 8 p.m or 9 p.m depending on daylight saving okay and uh so it's like they're unwinding with a drink and i with my business partner steven lyman we get on and we just talk about a specific topic for anywhere between 30 and 40 minutes and so mo- most of our audience is in the u.s we it's a little bit too late it's in the middle of the night for europe uh we may need to do a special version of it in the future uh mm-hmm. just to just for them but then we do get a few people who get up in the morning at you know for 10 a.m to to listen to what we have to say and chime in and and they tend to be people who are really interested in japanese indigenous spirits and who want to just kind of see what the the you know the scuttlebutt is and and so that's that's one major thing and then we also do the two of us also do something called japan distilled which is a proper podcast and we we put out only two episodes every month mm-hmm. but it's it, we we do a lot of research goes into them and they're there it's a generally a conversation between myself and then steven lyman who i mentioned before he's the mm-hmm. author of the james beard nominated uh, complete guide to japanese uh, japanese drinks which covers everything from sake and and beer to the spirits that we're talking about right now. And so it's basically a nerd camp. It's, it's these two spirits geeks talking about one thing or another, like our last episode was about Eau de Vie, Japanese Eau de Vie. And then before that, we did a kind of a profile of Masataka Taketsuru, the, who is the guy who is considered the godfather of Japanese whiskey. Um, I mean, incidentally, he was born in 1894, which was the year that Takamine was making whiskey in Peoria, Illinois, which just blows my mind every time I think about that. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, we, we're just trying to share information, get people in on the ground floor on some of these drinks that they probably never heard of. And hopefully it'll be a reference for years to come. Hopefully they're somewhat evergreen episodes. Yeah. And I think you're touching on such an important point, uh, Christopher, um, with most of the first stage entrepreneurs that come on here or small business owners who haven't really spent a lot of time building content over the last 20 years as the internet grew. It's something that I'm always telling them, like, listen, you have expertise in any area, whether Mm -hmm. it's your product, your service, some subject matter, you have to build content. And you and I know, and a lot of people who listen to this, this podcast knows that whether it's a, a video series, a podcast, a blog, whatever it is, content is takes time to do it well. Yeah. Like you were saying, yeah. doing the research, showing up, and then you put it out there. There isn't always, let's try to explain this to a lot of business owners who only care about the bottom line. There isn't always a way to monetize it that is like direct, there isn't a direct line. You're no, doing not at it all. At, yeah, it's an, an overall strategy for your brand yeah. and for the awareness. You absolutely get that because I know for our listeners, for myself, Shochu, and everything else that you've talked about in today's podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I want to know more. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Um, how can we connect with you, Christopher? I'm very easy to track down online, mostly Twitter at Chris Pellegrini and then Instagram at Christopher Pellegrini. Twitter doesn't allow that many characters. So I had to truncate my name. Um, And then also on Facebook as well, if people are interested, I think my handle is flip. So Pellegrini Christopher. And um, I'm very responsive and I'm just trying to relay information about these spirits and try to get people excited about them. 
And I, I promise everybody out there, if you if you just you want to know what the next big thing from Japan is, it's going to be these spirits that we've been talking about today. There's there's no doubt in my mind about it. There's too much quality. They're too good in cocktails. There's too much diversity. There's more than 5,000 brands of shochu and awamori produced every year in Japan. It is immense, but nobody outside of the country has heard of it. So wow. we've got our work cut out for us, but I'm, I'm stoked. I cannot wait. I'm, I was in the States last summer doing sales and education. I'm going back in April. I am ready to go. Um, well, so. well, whenever you come down here to Florida, if you do come down here to Florida, I'm assuming that's a big market it is on, huge. on your map. Come down. We're right outside of Orlando in the Space Coast. I love to do a face-to-face -face podcast and have a drink. That would be great. And, and then really, really let the audience know what it tastes like and describe it. Because I'm, again, really curious to know what 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 it tastes like. Because it's it, it sounds really good. Um, so, yeah. But thank you again so much, Christopher, for being here Cheers. with us today. Thank you very much, Alex.